K-A-L-W. This is TBH. I'm Hannah Nee. And I'm Cho Song Tenzin. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers. And for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. This is our final episode of the season. And this is the first election I'm voting in. I feel like I've been anticipating this moment since I first learned what politics was. And now that I'm here, I feel thankful and proud that I can show my support for the issues I care about through my ballot. The country is at a crossroads. What happens in the next few days will determine the fate of the climate crisis, how we will react to epidemics, and whether our leadership will dismantle racist institutions and prioritize truth over political advancement and greed amongst a litany of other crises. Instead of watching and hoping, like I did four years ago, I now get to participate in the electoral process and make a decision for America and for the millions of residents across the country who can't vote. I'm not quite old enough to vote yet, but I am in my senior year of high school, and I'm learning more and more about politics and our government. I'm excited for Hannah, as well as the many new young voters. It's inspiring to see young people like me, passionate and ready to participate in the election. Throughout my life, I've seen so many young people organizing, advocating, and educating people about gun control, police brutality, equal pay, and so much more. I can only hope and encourage the people around me to vote, because their votes matter. And I'll be watching from home as the leaders for the next four years are revealed. For now, let's talk about today's show. We are talking about athletes and activism. In 2020, there is an expectation and assumed responsibility for celebrities and people with platforms to act as activists. Entertainment is not safe from the structural inequities that plague minorities in America. Over the summer, the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks refused to play a nationally televised playoff game to protest the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Soon, sports teams in several leagues followed and refused to play their games in an unprecedented wildcat strike. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said in response that he wished the league had listened to Colin Kaepernick when he took a knee during the national anthem to protest police shootings. We asked TBH teens about how people they knew reacted when Kaepernick kneeled during the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm Maddie Johnson. I live in San Francisco, and I'm going to be an incoming freshman at UC Berkeley. Hi, my name is Zara Emmett, and I am from Fremont, California, and I'm an incoming first year at Ohlone Community College. Hi, my name is Cho Song Tenzin. I live in Oakland, California, and I go to Oakland Technical High School, and I am a senior. I mean, I remember when he took the knee, like, there was a huge split. I, like, remember people burning, like, jerseys and memorabilia of Kaepernick's. And then I also remember there were people who were very in support of what he was doing and speaking out, or at least doing something to memorialize. And, yeah, I just remember there was a lot of, like, really kind of extreme reactions to what was going on and people definitely thought he was like disrespecting like the flag and America and like yeah also the military and I think 
even at like school when like the pledge of allegiance would come on i remember people like having like some sort of things like oh should we sit out on it or i don't know i think people were pretty nervous about doing that because they wanted to also protest but then they weren't sure like how everyone felt but i remember that being a thing at school i realized that like for school soccer when we would go to like more like the suburbs area to play teams like before our games they would make us sing the national anthem and it was more like enforced and then like at our school like we would kind of just shake their hands and then play the game that wasn't kind of like something that happened i thought that was really interesting i feel like it's just like the demographics and like what type of community has like that american pride it's honestly so strange though i feel like sports is different from other entertainment and the fact that you know people won't necessarily boycott a movie if they see an actor or actress speaking out you know how recently when all but one of the giants knelt for the anthem and also they did a black lives matter moment of silence kneeling the president was like baseball is done for me i feel like there's not that same response in other forms of entertainment where people are so against um individual expression and individual activism and to be honest it's about bias and how people think that athletes aren't educated enough to speak out on topics that actually affect them just because they're athletes doesn't mean that they don't do more than this just their sports they're human beings they have feelings they have complex emotions and thoughts and a lot of them are more educated about these difficult topics than many of the people who are criticizing them. And I think it's just wrong to say that the athletes need to just stick to their games and they can't have a role outside of what they do on the field or on the court. But I was also reading an article in Sports Illustrated where somebody commented that when we see sports games air on TV, we don't listen to the anthem as we watch from our homes. The networks play commercials while the anthem plays in the stadiums so it's not like we respect those traditions when we view from home either those were the voices of maddie johnson zara ehmud and me chosong tenzin our next story comes from maddie who as you just heard feels strongly about this issue Her piece is about a Bay Area group called Speak Up and Dribble. They've been organizing basketball-themed Black Lives Matter protests around the country. They've traveled to Brooklyn, Eugene, and San Diego to dribble for justice and help people register to vote. I'm so excited for this story. Awesome. Let's hear it. This past June, the Bay Area basketball community marched from a Kobe Bryant memorial at a local rec center to the Kevin Durant-funded Hayes Valley Playground. Hundreds of people were there to honor the memory of George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks. Along the way, the marchers stopped to listen to student speakers like Erica Morris. One shot, two shot, three shot, four. Bodies on the floor. One mother, two mother, three mother, four. How many more mothers have to scream to the Lord? The group who organized this protest, Speak Up and Dribble, held a dribbling demonstration in front of San Francisco City Hall. Ernest Jones goes by EJ, and he's one of Speak Up and Dribble's founders. 
He also works as a basketball coach and affordable housing developer. He says the demonstrators dribbled for 8 minutes and 46 seconds to symbolize the amount of time George Floyd was kept in a carotid hold before he died. That basketball is the heart of the player. It, you, that basketball means everything to you. And um, we really tried at the protest to tie the sound of the basketball and that basketball being the heart to George Floyd. And you don't want your heart to stop. And so for that eight minutes and 40 seconds, your heart is beating, your heart is beating, your heart is beating. And at the end of that eight minutes and 46 seconds, it's done. This protest was organized to give young athletes a way to show support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Paul Barrera is with the community group Soma Pilipinas. Anything that you dedicate yourself to spiritually becomes a platform and becomes a way for you to connect with people and um, spark change. Paul and his brother came up with the idea for the name. They were hanging out after a protest in San Francisco and started talking. And uh, we were talking about the incident where Laura Ingraham from um, Fox News told LeBron James and Kevin Durant um, and just athletes in general, I think, to just shut up and dribble and to keep their political uh, opinions to themselves. Must they run their mouths like that? So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Obviously, you know, a horrible thing to say, and we were thinking about how we could respond to not just that specific statement, but that kind of mindset about just you know, limiting views on people, about who they are and who they ought to be. Speak Up and Dribble formed in collaboration with several different basketball groups in the Bay Area. The goal is to give young athletes a safe space to demonstrate, as well as prove that athletes are more than their skills on the court. You know, historically, people have always tried to separate racial justice and sports, but they have always been attached and been, been intertwined. EJ says people look to athletes to be role models, speak out, and represent them. If we think back to baseball, just Jackie Robinson entering the game was such a volatile time. Um, Bill Russell, one of the greatest basketball players in the world, endeared so many injustices while being on the Boston Celtics in his own community. You could be the most famous person in your city and still not respected by the people that come and cheer you on during the game. But basketball hasn't always been a platform for change. One of the biggest knocks on Michael Jordan was always that he would never take a political stance. Beyond exceptions like Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, athletes of basketball's golden era capitalized on having society focus on their athletic ability. My vision and my tonal vision was my craft. I was a professional basketball player, and I tried to do that the best I could. Michael Jordan was focused on his game, but these days, it's common to see basketball players in their prime speaking out. And I think when we look at athletes like LeBron James, who has really taken the stance of, no matter what, I'm going to speak out. It's a change that is new to sports. And with Kaepernick, it was proven that some folks aren't ready for it, but it's needed. Basketball players have been activists throughout 2020. 
In the wake of the Stefan Clark shooting, Curry is speaking up about how athletes can help bring about change. One of the best women's basketball players of all time told the world she was giving up the game for a while to do something bigger. That woman was Maya Moore, and that something bigger was work for criminal justice reform. By midweek NBA megastars LeBron James in concert with some of his league's biggest stars had announced he was forming an organization devoted to protecting black voting rights after weeks of tweets in solidarity with protesters over the killing of George Floyd. There is a reason that professional basketball players have a trend of player activism. Grant Hill, the co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks, says that if Colin Kaepernick was a basketball player, he would still be playing. Part of the reason that none of these players have been Kaepernicked is due to the positive support that NBA players have on all levels to speak out. Malo Hudson, a professor of urban planning at Columbia University, says that's true throughout the sport, from commissioners to coaches to fans. I can't imagine that in the NFL that athletes are not having the same conversations. It's just, how is it being received by the leadership? He argues that the decision athletes face of whether to speak out or not is dependent on how supportive their leagues are of player expression. And I think that in the NBA, I think they just have leaders that are willing to listen and owners and people in the front offices that are trying to do the right thing and are, are listening to the players, are having, aren't afraid to have the tough conversation. So I think that that's what's put the NBA in kind of a better position, if you will, given the circumstances. Commissioners like Adam Silver have made athletes feel safe to speak out. He pushed to move the 2017 All-Star Game out of Charlotte, North Carolina because of the state's law limiting bathroom use for transgender people. He also forced the racist owner of the Clippers franchise to sell the team in 2014 and banned him from the game for life. Professor Hudson says the other people running these leagues can't keep politics out of sports much longer. Star athletes have millions of followers online. And so I, I think that many of the young players today just see that they have to speak out. It's their duty to speak out. And they have a platform to speak out, whether it be through social media and, you know, didn't exist 30, 40 years ago, right? You had to very much rely on the media so much to get your image out, to hope that they write good things. And now you you could you could get onto Twitter, you can get onto your Facebook, you can do these other things to really control your image in a way that you couldn't control it before and get your message out. And the Black Lives Matter movement has become impossible to ignore. That's super hypocritical to say, I want to support you as long as you can run a football down the field or you can shoot hoops, but don't ever speak out about the plight of black Americans or the plight of people in this country or the world that are facing anti-black racism or racism in general or in any kind of injustice. I don't think that you can separate the two. The NFL appears to be taking note. They recently released a PSA about the death of Stephen Clark at the hands of the Sacramento Police Department. But individual athletes still have a lot to lose. Speaking out about racial injustice can be even harder for female athletes who don't get as much attention. Natasha Cloud is a WNBA player for the Washington Mystics. When she decided to take the 2020 season off to fight for social justice, Converse agreed to pay her salary in full. She explained her decision in depth with CNN. When our league is made up of 80% of black females, this directly affects us. Basketball is the last thing on my mind. 
again, this directly affects me. It directly affects my fiance. It directly affects, it will directly affect our children. And I've never seen this much momentum, this much leverage behind the movement. And so for me, going into a bubble, I was taking myself out of having the impact that I want to have. I want to be on the front lines. I want to be in, in my communities of Philadelphia and DC and countless other communities around the country. And to be impactful means to be present. And so for that, I wanted to sit out and, and tackle this head on 100%. Female basketball players make, on average, 20% of a male player's salary. So it's no small feat to miss out on a year of pay. Converse came through for Natasha Cloud, but many other female athletes simply can't afford to take off a season. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! This past July, Speak Up and Dribble took their message to Eugene, Oregon. Kids and their families gathered there to shoot hoops, talk about police reform, and march for Black Lives. Over in San Francisco, Speak Up and Dribble continues to help athletes of all genders and ages speak up for justice. The current focus is getting people registered to vote all across the country, in cities like New York, Eugene, and Los Angeles. Here's EJ Jones of Speak Up and Dribble. I just hope with sincerity that it's not something that comes as a phase and then kind of disappears. I, I just hope that people continue to, to learn and continue to, to want to know more. And honestly, I, I hope folks continue to have dialogue. I think it's all in conversation. If people can have peaceful dialogue, um, it goes a really long way. Athletes are proving that they can do more than just dribble. They are bringing uncomfortable conversations to the table. And as influencers, they continue the necessary dialogue around equity and justice. Thank you for that piece, Maddie. Maddie Johnson is a freshman at UC Berkeley and she's from San Francisco. Everything is political. Politics defines how we live our lives, what justice means, what equality means. There's a sentiment that entertainers are solely meant to entertain. And as Maddie says, football players are only meant to play football because people don't want to hear about politics in these areas. However, not wanting to hear about politics or issues that plague society reveals your privilege, that you can ignore horrible circumstances and not be affected. There are too many people who can't vote in America, too many who are disenfranchised, too many who are suffering. We don't get to tune out of politics when it is the very thing that decides how people get to live. For this season of TBH, more than 100 San Francisco high school students recorded commentaries on the social justice issues that mattered to them. And the most common issues students wanted to talk about? Racial discrimination, poverty, and climate change. That makes sense. Young people like us will have to deal with the worst effects of climate change. We're already feeling it. And this year, hundreds of lightning strikes ignited some of the largest wildfires in the state's history. Let's hear what two San Francisco high school students had to say about how climate change is impacting them. 
My name is Eric Hong, and I live in San Francisco, California. I'm in 11th grade. I'm a junior at Lincoln High School. More personal experience that I've had was all the forest fires and all the smoke that came up from Northern California, and then the wind like blew it all the way down to us. And all the smoke is just really heavy and makes it hard for us to breathe. Also, one of our school days had to be canceled, which had never happened. Uh, at least in my experience at school, a school day never got canceled for anything, and then that was the first time. Um, the in the sky it was really gray because it wasn't overcast or anything. It was a still blue sky, just you couldn't see it as clearly because all the smoke was covering it. Um, solutions that we can do are lower the amount of greenhouse gases that are emitted into our atmosphere, and also um, recycle more so we don't have as much pollution everywhere. And um, I mean, I don't think climate change is gonna end anytime soon. So not that hopeful, but I mean, I'm hopeful in a way that I hope it will stop, but I don't think it'll, it'll stop anytime soon. My name is Matthew Chan. Uh, I'm currently a junior at Abraham Lincoln High School. So recently I've actually been to Hawaii and Hawaii is such a beautiful place. But due to climate change, many other coral reefs are dying because the temperature increases and the coral reefs get too hot and they end up dying, which destroys many of the beautiful locations. Some personal experiences I've had with climate change was that uh, a couple of years ago, my family was looking around to move because there's, there's been a huge drought in San Francisco and the water bill has gone up a lot. So they didn't want to have to pay as much because it's getting really pricey. So they thought about moving out of state, which would move me away from other family members. Um, I think there are many solutions to climate change, but some simple solutions that we can do daily is that we can unplug devices which we aren't using and we can save electricity and we can try to use recyclable materials rather than one-use materials like plastics. Honestly, right now, I'm not super hopeful seeing the way that things have been going, seeing how, uh, how much garbage there is around and how, how much people don't really want to change their ways. Those were the voices of Eric Hong and Matthew Chan. A lot of students also submitted commentaries where they described concern for their parents and grandparents because of the U.S. healthcare system. This commentary comes from another San Francisco high school student. So my name is Ryan Quach. I'm an 11th grader at Abraham Lincoln High School. So um, it hasn't affected me, but it has a uh, in the past affected um, my family, more specifically my grandfather. So uh, from the start when he was in America, he had a kind of a low paying job and diabetes. And um, combine that with three mouths to feed because he had three kids, he couldn't afford the health care. So he was kind of always on budget. And you know, since you have diabetes, you need um, a medicine called insulin uh, and that's not free. So. Even though he clearly needed it, he tried doing as much as he could to balance everything out by rationing insulin or um, eating less to prevent high blood sugar levels, which it really isn't good, but what else could he do? But he did what you know any parent would do, and he chose his kids over himself, so he used most of the money for them and bills, so he never got any insulin, and then I think he died at 65, but We've been told that he could have easily had another 20 years if he just had his insulin. So I know it seems like a really simple answer, but like seeing how it is free in uh, other countries, I just ask like, why isn't it free here? And 
you know, I just think it shouldn't be something we have to pay for. You know, it's our well-being and the people uh, of this country. And I feel like we just shouldn't have to pay for that ourselves. And almost everyone talked about wanting a government that works to create a more fair and equal society, like in this commentary. My name is Caitlin Ewan, and I'm a junior at Abraham Lincoln High School. I've grown up in a family that has dealt with this, and over time, um, I've learned from the stories that my dad has told me from like when he was migrating from Guam to San Francisco, like he had a hard time um, just managing his life together because his mom had to raise uh, three children by herself as they uh, migrated to San Francisco and they didn't have a lot of like things to bring because they were limited to so many items that they could bring on like the plane and stuff like that and they had to leave like their friends and family behind in Guam and their jobs so they didn't really bring a lot of like money to San Francisco and they grew up um, in an apartment with their uh, cousins and they all had to stay together in one apartment so my dad had to constantly work after school and raise money for their family. I think it really changed my perspective on how uh, people deal with poverty in the world because there are a lot of families who don't have the same opportunities as others so they have to work harder like say you have a wealthy family um, they don't have to work as much because they already have the wealth that they need to survive while poorer families they they have to work harder and like they have to spend more time focusing on helping their family instead of focusing on like school or something like that I realized that if I focus more on the topic, then maybe I can like help other families who are in need of help. If a lot of people make not it's like kind of make noise about it, like where they get a lot of people involved, then yeah, I think it could be solved. That was Lincoln High School student Caitlin Yuan. People often criticize my generation for our activism and for speaking out about these issues. President Donald Trump has said Greta Thunberg has anger management problems, and conspiracy theorists have accused the Parkland school shooting survivors of being actors or pawns for adults. To minimize and discredit the experiences and voices of young people is a mistake. We are living in a world where young people experience active shooter drills at school, sexual assault, drug abuse, poverty, racism, and many other isms. These issues aren't new, but by mobilizing and recognizing the power we hold, our generation will be impossible to ignore. We will not be silenced. listening to TBH, a podcast from KLW Public Radio. Holly J. McDee edited and taught along with Sarah Lye Sterland and Kristen McCandless. Our engineers are Christopher Agusa, Julia Linus Goodman, Kristen McCandless, James Rowlands, and Gabe Graben. 
Music was composed by Daoud Anthony. We used additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Our artwork was created by Awan Mance. Shireen Adil is the content manager. Ben Trefney is the executive director. This project was made possible with support from the Association for Continuing Education, the California Arts Council, and California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Hannah Nee. And I'm Chosong Tenzin. Don't forget to vote!